Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. And now, here's our pastor, Cornelius Phillips, with today's message. Take your Bibles tonight and, and turn. I want to go back to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9 through 14, where we were Sunday. This is one of those, uh, uh, I guess, series of, of uh, preaching that that Holy Spirit just kind of dropped in into us. Uh, actually, uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday of last week. I was studying this, but I wasn't studying it as to uh, as to preach. But uh, Holy Spirit really dealt with me about it Sunday morning. So, and we we talked about uh, Naaman, and uh, when he when he made the statement uh, after Elisha had told him he needed to go and wash in the River Jordan seven times, uh, Naaman got upset. The Bible says that that Naaman uh, uh, stomped his feet or stormed off, mad, angry, and uh, upset uh, because he thought, uh, and I'm trying to, trying to find it. Thank you so much. Uh, but Naaman, Naaman was was angry, and uh, verse eleven, and he went away, and he said, "Behold, I thought that he will surely uh, come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper." And we talked about Naaman had a preconceived idea of how God was going to work, and that I thought. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight, but I want to uh, do it a little bit further. I want to I want to I, title it "I Thought," but understanding your process, understanding your process. Sunday morning uh, was the quick fix deal, and it, and that's what Naaman wanted. Naaman wanted the quick fix to his problem, but God had a process there that Naaman had to go through. Naaman didn't like the process. Uh, and so it's important that we understand our process. Uh, a quick fix is really just a patch that's placed over a problem that that will always produce more problems uh, and struggles down the road. Uh, a quick fix is very seldom a permanent solution but we as human beings we like that quick fix that's the reason most all y'all got a microwave in your house most of you probably got a Keurig in your house you can pop that little thing in there and then in about two seconds you got a cup of coffee Uh, I don't drink coffee but I do use Judy's Keurig uh, to do uh, oatmeal with so does real good on that so uh, but but it's a quick we we like stuff fast and and that mentality or that that way of thinking has crept into the church in many areas because we want a miracle and we want it now we want God to fix our situation now we want God to move in our marriage right now we want him to fix uh our children right now uh, I want my healing I want it right now and and so that 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 way of thinking uh, has come in and it can be very destructive because I counsel people or try to uh, a lot that that are angry and mad and frustrated with God because God didn't do something in the time frame that they thought he should and so uh, 
there, there are three areas that all of us, every one of us in here, are going to experience in our Christian journey, all right? And I've, I've, I think I've talked about this before, but uh, those three areas, you will experience them. And we can see that in the story of the children of Israel uh, when they were uh, about to come out of Egypt. So I want to real quickly, I want to go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8, and I want to show you this. This, this I'm not going to charge you for this. I'm going to just give you this. Uh, it won't cost you a dime. And then we're going to move on to uh, 2 Kings. And, but it's all, it all ties together. But in Exodus chapter 3, uh, the, the three areas that all of us are going to experience, the first one is promise. All of us are recipients of promise. We're all recipients of the promises of God. And uh, secondly, as you have received a promise, there is a process that you are going to walk through that is, is tied to that promise. <clears throat> the third one is the product. There's a promise, process, product. All right, God gives a promise, and he takes us through a process. That process leads us from the promise into the production of the promise or the fruit of the promise. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8, Moses is, is watching his father-in-law's sheep out in the wilderness. He comes up, there and he sees this bush that's on fire. The thing about it, though, the bush is not burning up. He just sees this burning bush. He says to himself, man, this is amazing. I'm going to turn, turn aside and check it out. And when God saw that Moses turned aside to check it out, God spoke to Moses and uh, in verse 8, and he said, I am come down to deliver uh, them, talking about the children of Israel, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the other ites. All right? But notice, notice what God said to Moses. Now, if, if you read in Exodus chapter 3, from, from about verse 4 down through 17, God gives the basic foundation of what he's going to do, what his intentions are with the children of Israel, uh, and what his plans are for the nation or, or the people of Israel. And uh, he gives the promise. He says to Moses, I'm going to deliver you from being under the hand of the taskmaster. I'm going to take you out of the land of bondage, and I will take you in to a land that flows with milk and honey. That's the promise. God said, I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to put you in or take you in to a land of promise, out of bondage into a land of promise that flows with milk and honey. That was the promise. The process that God didn't mention when he was talking to Moses is that place that lies between my past and my destiny. All right? That's the process. The process can sometimes be long, Brother Robert. Sometimes the process can be gruesome. Sometimes the process is just downright hard. But I want you to notice something. I said God didn't tell Moses about the process, but yet he alluded to the process. When he talked about, I'm going to take you out of the, the land of Egypt, and I'm going to take you unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, uh, the Hivites, and all the otherites. That is an indication there 
that God was saying to Moses, there's going to be a process because you're going into a land that, that has been uh, dominated by somebody else. All right? So he doesn't come out and say, hey, the process is going to be tough, but he does give some indication there. And then he tells him about the product. The product is what I call the fulfillment of the promise. The product, which is the promised land. The promised land is, is inherited the day they begin to eat of the fruit of the vineyard that they didn't plant, and they move into the house of which they did not build. That is the fulfillment of the promise. So it's the promise, the process, and the product or the fulfillment of the process. Now, I want to tell you something about the process. Remember what I said a little while ago. If you read Exodus chapter 3, starting about verse 4, and you read down through verse 17, that's the basic idea of what God was going to do with the children of Israel. It's the promise and, and the reason for the promise and what God was going to do. If you put, if you was to take those verses and put them in conversation form. For example, if I was to come to uh, Brother Larry tonight and I was to take verses uh, 4 through 17 and I was to put that in conversation form and talk and tell that to Brother Larry, it would take all of maybe two or three minutes. That's with a slow southern drawl. All right. It'd take about three minutes. Here's the awesome thing about this. That's how long it took for God to tell Moses about the promise. But it was 40 years in the process. Think about that. Think about it. I can... I can come to Sister Lisa and I can tell her a promise and that promise might be that God's going to do something great in your life. He's going to give you a, a mansion on a hill. He's going to give you a four-car garage and all that and I can give her that promise but it might take 20 or 30 years for that promise to be fulfilled. See guys, we, <clears throat> we lose our blessing many times during the process. We jump and shout about the, pro the promise. We're excited about the promises of God. But we don't recognize that the process is that part that I go through and you will go through. It is not God's way of trying to kill me it is not God looking at me and saying, my goodness, I've done promised him something that I'm not going to be able to fulfill, so I'm going to take him through this process, and I hope he don't make it so I won't have to worry about fulfilling what I promised. That's not the case. God takes us through the process because if it weren't for the process, you wouldn't be able to handle the promise. If you'll notice that the children of Israel, many of them failed in the process because in the process, God is trying to deal with the past. And if God doesn't deal with your past, you will never be able to handle the promise. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. If God gives you a promise that he's going to bless you, and your past involves a temper that you explode on people and you blow up on people, then, friend, God will take you through a process that will allow you, if you want to, to get rid of that temper. But if you shortcut the process and say, God, I don't, I'm not interested in the process. I just want the blessing of the promise. 
and you say, I'm not going to go through that process, then what's going to happen? You might step into that promise, but somebody, because the devil is who he said he was, somebody will come and push your button and you will explode. And guess what? You lose your promise. All right? See, the process is not meant to kill me. The process is meant to restore me and renew me. So God, through Elisha, said to Naaman, you've got to go down to the River Jordan and dip seven times. Naaman got frustrated. But understand this. The promise brings hope that's future. The process brings death that enables me to live in the promise. All right? The product of, or the fulfillment of the promise brings life and blessings. This is why our human nature hates the process so much. But when we understand and see the purpose for the process and the results, we can discover that process is temporary, but the promise and product are eternal. Think about that. The promise is eternal. The fulfillment of the promise is eternal, but the process is temporary. So don't get messed up because you're in process. Don't get frustrated because you're in process. Now, let's get, let's get to washing in the Jordan seven times. What is that? Why did God tell Eli, uh, Naaman uh, through Elisha to go wash in the Jordan River seven times? Why wasn't it a lot easier just to look at Naaman and say, just what Naaman said. Come here, son. Let me anoint you with oil. And bam, you got your miracle. Go back to where you came from, and everybody's happy. Why didn't he do that? I believe that God didn't do that because God is not satisfied with just fixing our outward problems. God wants to do a whole and a complete work in our lives. And so... This seven times dipping in the Jordan. Seven throughout the Bible is a number that signifies completion and rest. Remember God created the earth in six days and the seventh day he did what? He rested. He rested on the seventh day. Uh, but now catch this. <clears throat> God created the earth in six days and the seventh day he rested. You do not get to the day of rest until you go through one through six. You cannot get to the completion number until you first go through the other six numbers. So you see there's process. God went through a process, and on the seventh day he rested. Uh, and so... Here's, here's my thoughts on this seven times dipping in the Jordan River. Everybody knows about your five senses, right? We've all got five senses. Some of our senses are, are kind of dull maybe in some area, but we've all got sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch, all right? The other day, Sunday, as I, as I left the service, I began to think about this dipping seven times in the Jordan River. And I began to think about the consequences of what Naaman was wanting to do by just touch me and let me go. Uh, I don't want to wash in that nasty Jordan River. Uh, I've got clean rivers at home, I can go and wash in them, and I can do that. 
But why did God say, wash in the Jordan seven times? And, and we can talk about the Jordan River, and we mentioned that Sunday. But I want to get down to the step-by-step -step process. Uh, and I believe this is my take, that God was dealing with areas in Naaman's life uh, in order to make him a whole person. It's, it's the process that God uses to awaken my natural senses to that of the supernatural. It's that, it's that what the old church folks used to call that, that sanctification. Sister Sarah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm sanct saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, a lot of them got saved, sanctified, and satisfied. All right. But but we we used to say that, or they used to say that during testimony service. Uh, they would get up and, and they would start out saying, uh, I, I'm glad I'm saved, I'm glad I'm sanctified, and I'm glad I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, that was that was the line. Now, we understand that sanctification is not an instantaneous thing. We believe that sanctification is a process that God takes us through, and it's a process of purifying and redeeming and renewing and restoring our lives. Now, I'm not going to fall out with you if you say, Pastor, I, I'm sanctified and, and I got as sanctified as I'm going to get when I got saved. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, you know, it's like my dad used to say, uh, Son, it don't matter how high you jump when you shout. He said it's how straight you walk when you hit the floor. So, uh, so this, this, I believe, was that, that process of sanctification, perhaps, that God was taking Naaman through, and he did it uh, in, the, in the Jordan River. Uh, listen, God wants to take us from being motivated and prompted by things that we see, things that we hear, and things such as that. God is saying, listen, I don't want you to be motivated and prompted by what you hear on the news. I don't want you to be prompted to fear by what you see with your eyes. And so uh, God was saying, I, I believe what he was doing was I, he was taking Naaman through this process to allow, to awaken something in him to where he would not be driven by what he saw, what he heard, what he felt, but he would be driven by an inward moving of the Spirit of God. That there would be something on the inside of him that would reveal there is a God, his name is, is holy, and he is your healer. He is the one that has redeemed and restored you. That would not have happened had Elisha touched him on the forehead and he would have gotten his miracle. So let's deal with these five senses. The first one that we'll look at is the sense of sight. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to go kind of quick through this. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says this, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So what God perhaps was, was trying to do, now remember that this is, this is what I got out of this. And I got this as we were leaving church Sunday morning and I was driving down the road and Judy and I were talking and, and as I began to talk to her, this, this began to come to me and uh, I got home Sunday evening and began to write it down. We walk by faith and not by sight. Understand this, that you are born a sinner 
when you came from your mother's womb, you were a sinner. And everybody probably said, oh, what a cute, beautiful baby. But the fact is that all of us were born sinners. It's the reason nobody has to teach us how to lie. Nobody has to teach us how to cheat. We are born with that propensity. All right? So our sight, <clears throat> when we're born, is trained to the natural tendencies of our humanity. It's the reason if you're not careful, your sight will get you in trouble. It's the reason if you're not careful, sir, when the, the, the pretty lady with the red dress on and the 10-inch high heels walks by and, and you're following her, you have to be careful because your sight will get you in trouble. Perhaps what God was doing with Naaman is said, I want you to dip one time because when you dip one time, I'm going to deal with your sight. I'm going to change the way you see things. I'm going to change the way that you look at things. Remember, Naaman, Naaman served the god Ramon. It was a, uh, uh, an idol. He was an idol worshiper. So perhaps God was saying one of these dips that you're going to take in the Jordan River is going to deal with the way you see things because I want you to see things different. Guys, how important is it for you and I to check the way we see things, the way that we look at things, the way that we perceive things? God might be saying, I want to change your perception of things. Maybe the way that you view church needs to change. Maybe if you view church as I'm going to church and I'm going to get something, I'm going to get me a word when I go to church, then listen, I want you to understand that is good, but is that, if that's all that you're seeing about church, then your perception of church is messed up. There will be times when, when I go to church and I receive, but there are going to be more times that I go to church and I need to give something, all right? So God is saying that perhaps, uh, let me say it like this. I believe that what God is saying, because I don't believe God wastes time and I don't believe he wastes words, and, and so I believe that based on what we've been hearing over the past several weeks or months at McCullough Christian Center, that perhaps God is saying there's a miracle that's coming, but before the miracle gets here, you have got to change your perception of the way that you're seeing things. I feel the Holy Spirit on that. All right. That's a good word on Wednesday night. You see, because God is saying, I want to bring revival and I want to bring about some miraculous at McCullough Christian Center, but it is important that you check your perception the way that you see things because if you don't see them in the right manner, it'll mess you up. So number two is smell. And you might say, Pastor, what does my smell have to do with my relationship with God? You remember several months ago, I preached a, a message on I smell water. I'm telling you, you, you go back and, and look. It's, it's step by step by step. But I preached this message on I smell water. It came out of Job chapter 14 and verse 7 uh, where Job said this, For there is hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. There is hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that the tender branch thereof will not cease Though the root thereof wax old in the earth and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water 
it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Could it be that possibly, maybe so, that God said to Naaman or to Elisha, that second dip that Naaman is going to take is going to sharpen his smell. He can smell odors. He can smell smoke because he's a soldier and he's seen things burn and, and, and all that. But God was saying, I want to give Naaman a smell for the supernatural. I want to give Naaman a smell for my anointing and for my spirit. He said, I want to take this, this dead leper. I want to take this man that is fleshly. And that second time that he goes down in the River Jordan, he might not even recognize it. But when he comes up, there's going to be something about him that's going to be sensitive to the things of God. And, 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 and God said, I, I'm going to do this in him. I'm going to modify that, that natural sense of smell. And I'm going to change it into a supernatural sense of smell. That when, that when he thinks that everything is lost and, and the enemy is coming against him and trying to rob him of his joy, trying to rob him of his peace, when the enemy comes in and tries to rob him of his family and of, of his children and all of that, I'm going to put I'm going to do something about in his smell that he's going to smell the scent of water that's going to draw him and that water of life is going to bring life to him. And then number 3 is this hearing. The sense of hearing. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In order for God to do anything in my life, I've got to have faith. You can't go without faith. You've got to have faith. But here's the thing about faith, guys, that many of us don't understand. You can't sit there and, and say, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith. You can't sit on a, on a seat, on a, on a pew or a chair somewhere and say, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith. I, I feel it coming now. I got faith. And I'm being weird, I know. But that's not how faith comes. You can't sit there and repeat it ten times. My faith is stronger. And expect to increase your faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith comes. Maybe God was saying, Naaman, you go down in the water that third time. I'm going to do something to your hearing. I want to give you ears to hear the voice of God. I want to give you ears to hear because if your ears are not hearing, you're not going to walk in faith. If you're not hearing the word of God, you're not going to walk in faith. All right? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Listen, all this is process, guys. It's process. God takes us through things. He takes us through these processes, and He sharpens us and empowers us to do things that we normally would not be able to do. Number four is taste. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man 
that trusteth in him. Listen, there comes a time in, there's been a time in my life and there, I'm sure there's been one in your life or there will come one in your life when the, the things that used to please you no longer please you. The things that used to bring satisfaction to you, they just don't satisfy you anymore. The things that used to give you joy, those things don't bring joy anymore because your taste has changed. Listen, uh, my mom uh, force-fed me on uh, broccoli when I was a kid. I hated broccoli. I could see broccoli in the in the grocery store, and I'd I'd, I'd start sweating because I knew Mama was going to buy it, and I knew she was going to make me eat it when she she cooked it. I hated broccoli, but you know what? I love it now. I'll get me a whatever you call a thing of broccoli. I'll get me some broccoli and, and just drag it through some ranch dressing. some cheese on it and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, oh my goodness. But you see, my taste changed. Listen, I used to think that I couldn't enjoy life if I didn't have a Miller Pony or a beer. I thought that was the only way to enjoy life. I used to think that that I couldn't sit and watch a football game if I didn't have something to drink, some alcohol to drink. But when Jesus came in, my taste changed. You see, what we need, what I said, what I need in my walk with God is I need God to do a work on my taste buds. And I need God to do a work in my taste buds that will cause me to quit desiring the dainties of the world and get a taste for the things of God. That is what the psalmist was talking about when he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed. Blessed is the man uh, that knows him. You see, when your taste changes and you get a taste of the things of God, the world can't offer you anything anymore. You say, Well, Pastor, how do people backslide? How do they turn their back on God? Because they quit tasting God. And let me tell you something about this taste thing. How many of of you have eaten today? How many of you have eaten in the past two hours? Why did you do that? Because you were hungry. You were hungry. You see, when it comes to the things of God, you eat because you're hungry. That's what he was talking about when he said, taste and see that God is good. Because I guarantee you that you ate something that was especially good to you. And there are certain foods that you really like. And they keep drawing you back and drawing you back. And Pastor Don yesterday went down Mobile and picked up fireworks, and we stopped at uh, Golden Corral. And I'm not much on all that other food there, but they got one thing there that that they can get a gold medal on. And that one thing is their banana pudding. I'm going to tell you, they, they got some banana pudding that's just, just best I've ever had. And I'd go there and eat banana pudding whether I eat anything else. 
is oh taste and see that the Lord is good listen you got to realize that if you don't eat you starve if you don't eat your body begins to get weak if you don't eat the things of God your spirit begin to get weak perhaps that God was saying to Naaman I'm going to change your taste bud and what has satisfied you will no longer satisfy you but the things that you used to look at with disgust and disdain those things now are going to be what you hunger the most for and then the number five is touch touch in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 14, it's talking about don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he says, For what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? And what communion does light have with darkness? And what concord uh, does Christ have with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement? does the temple of God have with idols? And for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now look at verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. In verse 18, he said, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Come out from among them. What is he talking about? He's talking about coming out from among those who don't believe like you believe. And I'm not talking about because we're Pentecostal or charismatic you need to separate yourself from them Southern Baptist folks and, and, and them Presbyterian folks. You don't need to have nothing to do with them no more. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, that what Paul was talking about was, he said, what, what connection does Christ have with the devil? Uh, he was talking about what, what communion does light have with darkness? And then on down, and, and Paul said, Wherefore, you need to come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. And what he was talking about was don't connect yourself because what you put your hands on, you become connected to it. So we need to be careful what we touch in the Spirit. All right? Now, you say, well, Pastor, that was five senses that God dealt with in Naaman, but there were seven times for him to dip. So what's the deal? He dealt with his, his sight, his smell, dealt with his hearing, his taste, and his touch. That was five things, but what about the other two? You ever heard of the sixth sense? Here's what I think about the sixth sense. If you look up the definition of the sixth sense, it, it, it is the power of perception. Light but not one of the five senses. In other words, it's kind of like one of your senses, but yet it's not one of our senses. But it is the power to perceive. It's a keen uh, uh, sense uh, that uh, it's a keen sense of of seeing that that's not seen. In other words, that sixth sense is is that that uh, that has probably happened to you when when you say, you know, I should have listened to my first thought. Man, I had a feeling this was going to happen. You see, 
I believe that our sixth sense on steroids is the Holy Ghost. I believe God has given us that sixth sense. And many times when we make statements like, I should have gone with what was in my mind to start with or uh, I had a feeling this was going to happen, if you really would look at it, it's probably Holy Spirit is speaking to you and telling you, but we're not catching the voice of Holy Spirit. And I believe for the child of God, for the Christian, our sixth sense is that Holy Spirit that works on the inside of us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, he said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, <clears throat> even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it, it sees him not, neither does it know him, but you know him. All right? For he dwells with you and shall be in you. And Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So one of the processes that you and I go through is for God to fulfill the promise in us that he was going to give us that comforter. All right? Now, they didn't have Holy Spirit when Naaman was dipping in the Jordan River. But I believe that the process that God did in Naaman, because you remember that we read that Naaman said to Elisha, there is no God besides your God. So God opened his mind, opened his heart, and he had revelation of who God was. Listen to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. John said this. He said, but you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. Doesn't that sound really familiar? Well, I, I, I should have gone with my first thought. I had this feeling something was going, going wrong. John said, you have an unction. And, and that's an anointing. You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. In other words, what other people can't see, God will show it to you in the Spirit. That's the reason that you need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Remember what Pastor Frank said, Holy Spirit, if you don't, I can't. I was talking to Amber the other day, and and uh, she was sharing with me about a, a a situation that happened in her life, and she said, "Dad, the the first part of the week, she said, God began to deal with me about a song, and she said it was an older song, and she said God began to deal with me about that song, and she said I I listened to it on my phone." And she said, as I listened to it, God began to give me words to say in addition to that song. And she said, I, I, I listened to it, and she said, I, I even wrote down what the Lord was giving me uh, and what I was feeling. And she said, you know, I, I didn't know. I didn't understand. But she said, I knew that, that God had, had drawn me to that song. And she said, I got to church Sunday morning, and she said, when I walked in, the worship leader of the church walked up to her and said, Amber, I know this is an old song, but do you remember this song? And it was the exact song that Amber had been listening to all week. And Amber said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And I've been listening to it all week. And she said, would you sing that this morning? And she said, uh, and before you sing it, 
will you give a testimony of what that song means to you? And Amber said, Daddy, it blew me away. She said, because I knew by that that I was listening to the voice of God that was speaking to me. And I said, that is awesome, baby. I said, that is awesome. And, and she was so excited about that because she said, I now know that that was the voice of God that was telling me that I needed to listen to that song. And he was telling me I needed to prepare a testimony four or five days before I actually had to do it and never mentioned it to anybody. And they walk up to me that Sunday morning and tell me exactly what the song. You see, John said this, I have an unction, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. So what was number six? It is that anointing, it is the Spirit of God that abides on the inside of me, that leads me, that guides me, that teaches me, that gives me revelation, that gives me understanding and wisdom of the Word of God. If there's ever been a time, ladies and gentlemen, that, that we need that relationship with Holy Spirit to be strengthened and established it is now. It is now. And you say, well, Pastor, there's still one more. There's number seven. Listen, I believe that when we align ourselves with God, when I align my sight with God's sight and begin to see through the eyes of God, when I align my spiritual smell, that I am, am sensitive to, to the scent of God's spirit, of God's anointing. When I begin to hear the word of God and my faith begins to grow, when I begin to taste of the good things of God and I realize that they are good, and when I begin to reach out and instead of touching the things of the world, I begin to reach out and touch the things of God and I begin to desire, God, I've got to touch you. I've got to touch you. I've got to reach out and touch you when I begin to do that and Holy Spirit begins to work and move in my life you know what's going to happen a miracle is going to take place so even though Naaman grumbled and complained about having to dip seven times in the Jordan look what the process brought and I believe this, guys. You won't ever get your miracle until you align yourself and say, God, whatever the process, I'm willing to go because I need a miracle. 